invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in a minute, verse 15. We've been walking through the book of Ephesians this summer. And walking, I use that term intentionally because Paul talks a lot about walking. And he's talking to a church he loved dearly. And so I've entitled today's message, Walk in Wisdom. I don't know what your definition of wisdom is. One of my favorites is the right application of knowledge. Here's the problem. Without Christ in your life, without God showing you the right application of knowledge, you're probably not going to walk in wisdom. In fact, I think the world without Christ thinks they know everything. You ever met anybody like that? We call that often wrong but never in doubt. You ever meet people like that? Don't poke anybody and don't point any fingers. It's been estimated that all of man's knowledge from the beginning of recorded history to 1845, if it was represented by one inch, what he learned from all of that time would have been just one inch. Compared to from 1845 to 1945, it would amount to about three inches. What he learned from 1945 to 1975 would represent the height of the Washington Memorial. And from 1975 to today, it's more than doubled. With things like the Internet and encyclopedias and access to information all over the world, we have a lot of knowledge. We probably have too much knowledge. Someone has said, we weren't really cut out to know everything we know. Now if something happens on the other part of the world, it doesn't take days or weeks for you to find out about it. You find out about it instantly. And sometimes it's overwhelming, isn't it? So when Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians and he gets to this passage in particular and he talks about walking as wise and not as unwise, he's writing to people that he loved. These are people he had been among, helped establish the church, but he's not there anymore. Anybody already packed up a student to college? They've already left or about to leave? Anybody? A few of you? I see a bunch of students in the back heading off to college. If you're a parent, this, this will mean something to you because you're thinking, you know, have I taught them everything they need to know? Well, probably not. And what are they going to do when they get off to college? They're probably going to do what you've taught them up to this point and what they've witnessed in your example and by your life. And so if you're writing emails this week saying, all right, I forgot to tell you this, but if you're washing your clothes, you might want to separate the colors and the whites. <laughs> if you're in doubt, wash everything on cold. Don't use hot water because everything's going to fade. If you buy something brand new and it's red, you might want to wash it by itself. Don't play in the street. Make sure you're eating right. Not a good idea to live off a steady diet of pizza if that's all you're eating for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's, in our minds, that's kind of what Paul was doing. He wasn't telling them about pizza or playing in the street. But he's, he loves people who he knows the environment they're currently living in and he's basically saying, don't walk like the world. Walk like the example you've seen in us. Walk like Christ. So let's look at this passage, beginning in verse 15, Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, well, I tell everybody, when you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. What he's been telling them previously in this chapter is, imitate God. Mimic, copy what you see in God. And so he's giving them instructions on how to do that. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, 
Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So Paul starts this passage by saying, Therefore, be careful how you walk. It's literally two Greek words put together, meaning to look at carefully. Pay attention to where you're walking and how you're walking. If you don't watch where you're walking, what are you likely to do? You're likely to fall. And the older you get, young people, the worse it gets. I love wearing Crocs. And one of the things I've learned about wearing Crocs is they wear out. And they get real slick on the bottom. And so you need to know if you're walking into Walmart and they got those painted lines in front of Walmart and it's raining and you walk fast, you're going to bust it. I haven't done it yet, but I've come real close. You know, kind of slip sliding into Walmart. So be careful. Paul's saying be careful how you walk. I'm telling you if you're wearing worn out Crocs, it's time to get new Crocs. But if it's wet, slow down a little bit. Be careful. Take your time. And that's what Paul's saying. Look diligently all around. Give attention to circumstances and consequences. It's like your mom or dad saying, don't play in the street. Does anybody remember that? Did your parents ever tell you that? Kids don't go outside anymore, so it's not really important that we know this. They're in the basement playing Xbox. But back in my day, we played in the street. The street was part of our baseball field. First base was our mailbox, and right field was across the street in somebody else's yard. So you had to be careful. If a car was coming, you kind of stopped the game until they got through there. Paul's saying, be careful how you walk. Look both ways before you approach traffic. And then he gets real specific. Not as unwise men. The King James translation says fools. Don't walk like a fool, but walk as wise. In Proverbs 13, 20, writer of Proverbs says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So Paul says, don't walk like an unwise man, but walk as wise. Where does wisdom come from? I've already hinted at it. It really comes from God. In fact, James, in James chapter 1, verse 5 of James, says this, If you lack wisdom. Now, right before that, he said, Count on all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing the test of your faith produces endurance. And he gets to the point in verse 4 where he says, That you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what God's doing in your life is making you complete. Making you lack nothing. But if you recognize, I lack wisdom, anybody here already got all the wisdom you need? No, all of us need wisdom, and to know where it comes from, it comes from God. So how do you get it? You get it by asking God, and here's the good news. He gives to all generously and without reproach. What does that mean? He gives to all generously. It means as he gives us wisdom, it doesn't tap his reservoir. He's not running out of wisdom. He's got all of it there is to give, and when he gives you some, you can't tell it's gone. But it comes from God. He gives to all men generously, and he gives without reproach. Meaning he doesn't beat you up over past stupidity. I'm not giving you any wisdom. You don't know how to use it. No, God doesn't do that. God gives wisdom generously and without reproach. And specifically, it involves the way you use your time. Paul's going to get into now making the most of your days. The 
market. That was a term you would use in market, meaning to buy out or purchase completely something. You're making the most. You've got a little bit of time. How many hours are there in the day? 24. Thank you. How many minutes are there in an hour? 60. How many seconds are there in a minute? 60. Somebody could do the math and tell us how many seconds there are in a day. I've heard it, but I don't know it. I can't do that math off the top of my head. But we've all got the same amount of time. And what Paul's saying is walk as a wise person, not as an unwise person, and make the most of your days. Make the most of your time. In fact, the word he uses is not the word you would normally use for time, which was where we get chronology from, which just simply meant minutes, seconds, and days. But he uses a word that simply meant a set or appropriate proper occasion or time. The opportunity for Christian services are brief. And they're brief service seasons that soon slip by. Don't raise your hand. But has God ever told you to do something you didn't do it? Did, did you ever recognize that God was leading you to speak to somebody? God was leading you to write a note? God was leading you to pay something? God was leading you to help somebody? And the time just slipped by and you didn't get it done. And you look back and realize, I missed that. It's important for us to understand. In fact, James puts it this way in, in his letter. Chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, listen to this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. What's James saying? Make the most of your time. What's Paul saying? The one way you know you're walking as a wise man or woman is that you make the most of the time that God has given you because you don't know what tomorrow's going to be. You're just a vapor. My favorite illustration of this is walk out one morning, not tomorrow morning, but when it's cold, and just go, remember that? You see that vapor coming out of your mouth? What happens to it? It's gone. It dissipates quickly. That's your life. When you compare our lives to eternity, if you live to be 70 years old, 80 years old, 90 years old, 100 years old, or if you live past 100, in the overall grand scheme of things, that's brief. In light of eternity, it's about that long. It's a vapor. So Paul says, walk wisely. Look carefully at circumstances, situations around you, things God's leading you to do, and make the best use of that time. One of our greatest sins as Christians is I think we waste a lot of time. And I'm not telling you you can't have recreation. I'm not telling you you can't relax. But you've always got to be doing something. But be careful that you see where God's at work and join him in that work. Make the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. Paul's writing about a generation in the first century about 2,000 years ago. And he said, it's dark days that you're living in. And he knew specifically the influences outside the church in Ephesus. But he also knew the heresy that was trying to infiltrate the church in Ephesus. He said, Christians, you've got to be careful. You've got to be wise and discerning. You've got to hear what God's telling you because you're living in a dark, wicked, perverse generation. Aren't we glad that's changed? <laughs> that was a joke. No, it's not any better. In fact, the church in Ephesus, within a hundred years of this letter, the Romans were burning Christians. They were using them as torches in their gardens. 
and they were throwing them to wild animals for amusement and sport. So it got worse. In fact, it got worser. Because it wasn't long after the letter Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians that Jesus dictates a letter in the book of Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Ephesus. And he says, you're doing a lot of religious stuff, but you've left your first love. So Paul's saying, be careful. Keep your eyes open. Stay alert. Stay attentive. Look out for the opportunities that God's putting in front of you for the days are short and the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish. Literally mindless, ignorant, unbelieving. But understand what the Word of God is. Understand, literally put it together or comprehend what the Word of God is. Or to understand the will of the Lord. Where do we get that? Well, best place is right here. I think there's times we get wisdom from other believers speaking into our life. Sometimes we get wisdom from Bible studies or church services. But men and women, the bottom line is we've got to know the Word of God. This is God's wisdom revealed to us. 66 books. It's important that we understand it. You're not going to understand if you don't read it. A few years ago I read a statistic. The average teenager spends about five minutes a week reading their Bible. That's the Christian teenager. Not the average teenager, the average Christian teenager, and I would say to you, I don't think adults are much better than that. Well, how are we going to know the will of the Lord, who he's revealed it through the Word of God, if we're not spending time reading the Word of God? And I don't say that to put you on a guilt trip, because I'm guilty as well. We've got to understand what the will of God is, and the place to start for that is read your Bible. Then he turns to one verse, the careless walk, verse 18. Really, two commands in this one verse. Don't and be. Don't do this, but do this. First is do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. The Bible does not forbid drinking wine. But Paul said, don't get drunk with wine. In fact, it got so bad that in Corinthians, he was talking to him about communion. He was talking to him about the Lord's Supper. Some of them were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Now, the church I grew up in, that was impossible because we used grape juice. But isn't that something that, that it had gotten so, alcoholism had gotten so out of hand in the time of Paul. In fact, it was used among pagan cultures of his day as part of their worship of pagan gods. Well, yeah, if you're drunk, you can worship just about anything. So Paul's saying, don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation. The word dissipation means unsavedness. It literally means that which is unable to be saved. So what do we do with alcohol? I came up with four things. One, the Bible doesn't forbid the use of it. It forbids getting drunk. Drunkenness is a sin that leads to other sins. And you're not being careful how you walk if you're getting drunk with wine. So I, I just four thoughts. One, are you dependent on it to be happy? Are you dependent on God for joy? Are you dependent on earthly, human, natural things to provide you with inner peace and joy? And I just got to tell you, if you're using alcohol for that, it doesn't last long. The next morning, your head hurts, and you ain't happy no more. 
Have you formed an unhealthy habit? Has it become a habit in your life that's unhealthy? Is it potentially destructive? 40% of violent deaths are related to alcohol abuse. At least 50% of traffic deaths. In fact, I had a lot of stats. I'm just going to read a few. Alcohol is the number one drug problem in America. There are more than 12 million alcoholics in the United States. Three-fourths of all adults drink alcohol, and 6% of them are alcoholics. Americans spend $197 million each day on alcohol. In the United States, a person is killed in an alcohol-related car accident every 30 minutes. Nearly 7 million persons aged 12 to 20 are binge drinkers. Well, you, know, you can't buy alcohol before you're 21, right? 7 million who aren't even legal to buy alcohol are already binge drinkers. Three-fourths of high school seniors report being drunk at least once. It, this was interesting. People with higher educations are more likely to drink. And people with higher income are more likely to drink. Maybe that's because it's expensive. My wife and I decided our first year of marriage that because of the witness of our life, we just decided we're not going to drink. Now, I drink Diet Coke and water and Sprite, you know, that kind of thing. We decided we're not going to drink alcohol. And am I telling you to do that? Let your conscience be your guide. The Bible doesn't say don't drink. But the culture we live in is dangerous. The fourth thing, will it offend other Christians or cause them to stumble? And that was the thing I came to. I don't want you seeing me drinking out in public and think, well, the preacher's doing it, so it must be okay. And maybe I, I don't do it to sin, but it ends up being an addiction in your life. So be careful. And the contrast to that is don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and I remember being a teenager holding up a bottle of something and saying, I'm being filled with the Spirit. <laughs> That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And to be filled literally means to level up or to cram a net until it's full. In fact, the tense of the word is present, so it means be being kept filled. Now, Paul's already taught us the Holy Spirit already in, Ephes in the book of Ephesians. It's the seal. It's a promise. It, when the day you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit enters your life. It's a down payment, earnest money from God on what's to come. The Holy Spirit's in your life to lead you, remind you of things God's already taught you, to lead you into the ways that God wants you to walk. You've been immersed, baptized into the Holy Spirit. But this is different. This is something that needs to continually happen in your life, that you continue to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't get drunk with wine, for that's the mark of an unsaved person, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it really comes down to this question. What's in control of your life? Is it alcohol or is it God? I came up with four thoughts here too. Being filled with the Spirit. Here's some things you need to do. Romans 15. Believe in God. Romans 15. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Third, this is out of Colossians, which is mirrors Ephesians very much. I'll just read the first half of Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So one of the ways to know the will of God, but one of the ways also to continually be being filled with, the, with God is to spend time in God's word. And then Luke 11.13, ask for a fresh sense of his spirit. Ask God to keep you filled with His Spirit because God's got a task for you to do. He doesn't expect you to do it in your own strength. He expects you to do it in the strength of God through the Holy Spirit working in you. So pray daily, Luke eleven thirteen. If then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the last part of the passage We've looked at the careful walk, the careless walk. Then we look at the shared walk. This is Paul simply saying, here's how you get along with other believers. Really not talking about people outside the church. Now he's talking about people inside the church. And in, isn't it interesting? These are the results of the Spirit of God lived out through your life. Speak to one another. The exhilaration of the Spirit expressed now in song and praise. Joyful people sing. You ever look around in church sometimes during worship and people just sitting there? Now, maybe they don't know the song. Maybe they don't like the song. I can tell you, my mother didn't like contemporary songs. My mother's passed away a few years ago. She said, I don't like that off-the-wall music. You know what she meant? She didn't like music that was projected on the wall. So we, qu we quit projecting on the wall put it on screen. She still wouldn't have liked it. Somebody else said, I don't like that 7-Eleven music. I was like, what, 7-Eleven? Seven words you repeated 11 times. <laughs> but the truth is, the heart that is filled with joy can't help but sing. How many of you had parents tell you, no singing at the table? I, I did. I don't remember doing it a whole lot, but I just remember. We, you know, we don't sing at the table. Yeah, I know y'all don't. But sometimes you can't help it. You're happy about something, and so you sing. And so Paul said, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When you meet for corporate worship, you're ministering to one another and you're ministering to the Lord in corporate worship. And I don't want to make a huge distinction between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but he, he mentions these three words. He says psalms, literally He's talking about the book of the Psalms set to music. Did you know that a lot of the Psalms were, were, it's obviously poetry, but they would sing it. There were part of the book of Psalms called Songs of Ascent, and they would sing songs as they approached Jerusalem, and it took you days to approach Jerusalem. The hike from Galilee to Jerusalem could take a week, and it was uphill. And as they got in range of the holy city, Jerusalem, that they were going through for some religious festival or feast, they couldn't help but break out into song. They looked forward to the place where they believed God dwelled. But God now dwells within us. And we come together in corporate worship. We're all dwellings of God, entering into the house of God to worship God. So you sing hymns one another excuse me psalms then you sing hymns the, the literal word, meaning of the word is just to celebrate there ought to be an aspect of worship that is just celebration it's hymns it's 
I like one writer said, it's musical worship, it's take-home theology. So be careful. <laughs> be careful what you're singing. There's songs in the hymn book that I grew up with that didn't make sense theologically. There's songs that we sing off the wall that if you think about them, you're like, what are they saying by that? It doesn't make sense. It's not, it doesn't square with Scripture. So be careful that your take-home theology is good theology. And then spiritual songs. I don't see this much in this country. But spiritual songs were more songs of testimony. I was in India the end of February and the 1st of March. And one of the things I noticed that they were doing, I couldn't understand what they were saying. There were times they had corporate worship that we were all singing. But every now and then somebody, a lot of times a guy, sometimes a woman, would get up with a microphone. And can I just tell you, don't let this leave this room. It sounded awful. But I asked somebody that knew the language, I said, what is he doing? He said, he's singing his testimony. So it was set to music. They had people behind him playing tambourines and keyboard mainly, drums. And he was just joyfully singing his testimony. And I thought, I need to move to India because I sing terrible. But apparently it goes over here. So Paul has said, sing songs. Sing hymns. Sing spiritual songs. Sing your testimony. His, his grace should affect you emotionally, spiritually, theologically, and you express that in music. Do you know there's going to be singing in heaven? People that hate the worship part, and, and, and I just got to tell you, the music's not the only part of worship in a church. The preaching's worship too. But people hate music so much, I think it ticks them off to think, you mean we got to sing in heaven? And I think some people get this picture that we're going to be sitting on a cloud with a harp and a little halo, and that's heaven. The Bible doesn't talk about it that way. Heaven's going to be a lot more than that, but I think one of the things that's happening in heaven right now is the creatures are around the throne constantly saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in Revelation chapter 5, they're joined by the saints who constantly worship around the throne. It's a beautiful part of it. I tell you, it ain't going to be boring. So Paul says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. The literal meaning of the word making melody is the word to twitch or play a stringed instrument. You were twitching up here this morning on a stringed instrument, whether that's the harp, the lyre, lyre or the guitar. Paul's telling us in the book of Ephesians, Psalms talks about it too. But you do it from the heart, and you do it unto the Lord. So if your singing isn't coming from the heart, you're taking God's name in vain. Did you know you could take God's name in vain in worship? To take in vain means to lift up as meaning nothing. And so don't worship God in vain. If you ain't feeling it, spend the time talking to God and just say, God, I'd like to sing those songs, but my heart's not there right now. Would you change my heart so that when I lift up your name, it's not meaningless, it's, it's purposeful, intentional. So make melody in your heart to the Lord. And listen to this, always giving thanks. Every time, always, at all times, express gratitude. You know why some people don't express gratitude? 
three thoughts on that. One, the reason they're not thankful is they think they deserve everything they got. Jesus told some parables in Luke, and I won't take time to turn there, but one parable he talks about a guy who kind of speaks to himself, and he says, you know, self, you got it made. Look at all this stuff you got. It's kind of like Nebuchadnezzar back in the book of Daniel. Look at all this stuff. Your hand has provided you. And the end of the parable is Jesus says, you fool. You didn't know that tonight your very life was going to be required of you. Who's going to have your stuff tonight? So some people aren't thankful. Folks, you, you better have a heart of thanksgiving and recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. That makes you thankful. Some are hypocritical and self-righteous. Jesus tells another parable. I just picture this Pharisee at church praying. And part of his prayer is he looks over this tax collector who is humble before God, on his knees, on his face, worshiping God, asking for mercy, and he's going, oh, thank God I ain't like that guy. When you get to that point, you got a problem. So some people aren't thankful because they think everything they got they owe to themselves, and so they just thank themselves. Some people aren't thankful because they're hypocritical and self-righteous. But some are truly thankful. Jesus tells another parable about ten lepers who he healed. He told them to go to the priest for verification of the healing. One, when he realized he was healed, came back. He was a Samaritan and fell before Jesus and just thanked him. Folks, listen, if you don't have an attitude of gratitude, you just need to spend some time with God and just say, God, open my eyes to just see how good you are. Your prayer journal should not just be about prayers you're praying. There ought to be times when you thank God for the answers to prayer. You're thankful. And then the last thing he says, and this really sets up the next part of chapter 5 and even into chapter 6, be subject to one another. Again, he's talking about the church come together to worship, speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, make melody in your heart to the Lord, be thankful. Part of church service should be giving thanks to God, but be subject to one another. It literally means two words, means to orderly arrange under. Paul uses this at least 20 times in his writing. 13 letters of the New Testament Paul writes. At least 20 times he talks about being subject to one another. And here it's not just wives to husbands. It's not just slaves to masters. It's not just the other ones that he's going to get to eventually. But it's all of us that are be subject to one another. If a person is acting brashly or arrogantly, they're not walking in the Spirit. And they're not going to be subject to one another. And we do that in the fear of Christ. The fear of Christ. I don't know what you think when you hear that word. If you're thinking, I'm afraid of certain things. I'm afraid of snakes. Not a big fan of snakes. I remember that dude from Australia that used to pick up snakes. This is the deadliest snake. Remember him? Steve Irwin? I'm thinking, then put it down for crying out loud. But it literally means a reverential awe, a spirit, a sense of just awe. When you think about God, it ought to be, God, your ways are higher than my ways. You're God and I'm not. And God, I owe everything to you. Everything good in my life that's ever happened or ever will happen comes from you. And so I'm subject to one another based on that awe and respect of Christ. That's my motivation for submitting. The Spirit will enable you to do what's not natural. Namely, love and submit 
bow your heads with me. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And God, thank you for the practical instruction that Paul gives us about living the Christian life. God, would you take it and apply it to our hearts? God, if there's someone here today that just says, you know, I can't do any of that because I don't know Jesus, then God, today could be the day of their salvation. I pray before they leave this place, they would talk to somebody, a leader from their group, someone they know and trust their walk with Christ, or one of our staff, or me at the back door. God, today's word was primarily for believers because that's who it was written to. It was written to the church. So God, help us in the days we live in to recognize there's evil all around. And so we've got to be wise how we live. Apply the scripture to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing a closing chorus?